today can be found on page 1170 of the Church Bibles. That's 1170. Galatians chapter 4, starting at verse 21. Verse 4, chapter 21. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a divine purpose, promise. These things are being taken figuratively. The women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free and she is our mother. For it is written, be glad barren woman, you who never bore a child, break forth and cry aloud, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of a desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now, but what does Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading is on page 1042 in the Church Bibles, and we read in Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. Luke 10, starting at verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Okay. Okay, here we go. This chapter of Galatians is a bit uh, difficult, isn't it? At least I think it is. Uh, it's about Abraham and Hagar and Sarah and their two children, uh, one of whom has a place in the family and the other one gets kicked out. Um, but I've got my notes on uh, pink paper today, and you'll see that I've used a copy of the office manual from a certain firm of solicitors in my youth, uh, which has a number of laws, and the uh, index page shows that there are 115 pages of rules, and then the mandatory requirements begin after that. These are rules, laws, to enable me as a lawyer uh, to practice legal aid, to help someone as a lawyer practicing law who's fallen foul of the law uh, until next time to try to rescue. So that's perhaps too many rules. And some of us get a bit cross, I think, with the EU for too many rules. But what's the passage really about? How does one get into the family of God and how does one stay there. Is it inheritance? I've uh, been watching the telly, reading the papers, and there are quite a lot of advertisements about finding out about your family history, your inheritance, um, perhaps your genetic inheritance. Uh, if you pay money, they'll tell you about your genetic inheritance, and perhaps there'll be a financial inheritance as well. But verse 24 is explaining that these are taken figuratively, this particular passage. And it's about two covenants, two women, two inheritances. One, an earthly one, about the earthly Jerusalem, which at the time, this is before AD 70 when Jerusalem was destroyed, so it's under the control, the law of the Romans and enslaved to them and also enslaved perhaps to traditions of one sort or another, perhaps the law as set out in the Old Testament. And the other... That one is about um, being born in the ordinary way, lineal descent, your inheritance from Abraham, observance of the law, and that's Hagar, Ishmael, and law. The other is about a child born miraculously as a result of God's promise, and it's about grace and faith, freedom, and that's uh, Isaac. And Sarah. Grace, of course, is spelt God's rescue at Christ's expense. One of them starts with a miracle, the other starts in the ordinary way. But why was Paul so worked up? He's very cross about all this, about what's been happening uh, amongst the Galatians. I'm going to have to crouch here because um, <laughs> my glasses are in for repair. <laughs> Help us to see clearly. Well, Paul is really quite cross. At the beginning of Galatians, he's talking about, in, verse, in chapter 1, he's talking about grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us. And that I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel, which isn't really a gospel at all, and you're perverting it. He's cross. But the gospel, he says, 
is the good news of God's rescue in Christ, who gave himself for our sins. He goes on to explain in, in chapter 3, I don't set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, righteousness, being right with God, if that could be gained by following tradition and behaving according to the rules, 115 of them before you start, Christ died for nothing. Did you receive the Spirit by obeying the law or by believing? And he goes on to talk about Abraham. He says, consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. Like Isaac, born as a result of faith and God's promise. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Justify, make right with God. Gentiles, everybody. By faith. And announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. It's not new. It's not something which we've just dreamed up or Paul's dreamed up in the New Testament. It's God's plan right from the start. The tree of life is in the Garden of Eden as well as the other trees. So... What was the promise to Abraham? Some of it has to do with children, some of it has to do with land, some of it has to do with blessing, but the punchline is all nations will be blessed through you, or in the authorized version if you like, the <coughs> traditional version, then in your seed, descendant, one, not every, not all of them, one, Jesus, all nations will be blessed in your seed, all nations will be blessed. That's the, the covenant, the deal, the promise that God makes to Abraham. And he, Paul makes it clear in Galatians 3.16. He says, the promise was broken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture doesn't say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but to you and your seed, singular, meaning one person who is Christ. So that's his covenant, and only later was that marked by circumcision, which is really a sign of the covenant, not a sign of the rules. So what is the law? As Brian said earlier, by the law, we might mean 115 pages of this or lots of regulations in um, Consumer Credit Act or what it might be, but Paul means the law. He means the first five books of the Old Testament in the Bible. Old Testament divided into three bits, the law, the writings, and the prophets. And the first five books are the, are the law. But most of the rules come in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Rules about behavior. Two in Deuteronomy, ten perhaps in Exodus, and again in Deuteronomy, 630 altogether. And then there are more traditions by Jesus' day which have been added in other regulations about washing plates before and after meals in case by mistake you might have left a little bit of bacon, no, no, a little bit of something that wasn't quite kosher left on the side of the plate, you might be defiled. Or you might walk over somebody's grave without knowing it and be defiled without knowing. So lots of regulations to protect people, keep them 
safe behind a fence so they don't get near to breaking any of the 600 and something rules. And Jesus calls those um, traditions which sometimes get in the way. And when something goes wrong in the Old Testament, there's a sacrifice. Don't, don't take it out on me, Lord, please. Uh, we'll sacrifice a, a goat or a, a sheep or a, a, a bullock, perhaps. But now under grace, all those sacrifices are fulfilled in one sacrifice by Jesus. And there's nothing that we can add to that, really. It's fulfilled. It's, Jesus explains in, in Matthew 5 that he's come to fulfill all the law and the prophets and the writings. Explained again at the end of, of Luke. And if something is full, if you imagine a bucket full of water, I mean full, can you get any more water in? You can't. It spills over, doesn't it? You can't. It's full. It's full. You can't get any more in. And that's Jesus' sacrifice for us. We can't add a little something extra. If I get up at five to six this morning and pray rather than five past, extra sacrifice, does that cut any ice? Well, not for my salvation. No, it doesn't. It's not going to make the difference, is it? It might make me pray a little better. It might be good discipline. It might be a good thing to do. But it's not for salvation. It's not going to make the difference between being in the family or being out of the family. Well, do we do things wrong? Yes, we do. There's a story in the second chapter of Genesis about Adam and Eve and the desire for something which looks good, is good for food, and is desirable for making us wise. You can imagine the serpent. If it was, if it was last week or the week before, he'd be saying, take control. Take control of your own destiny. Take control. But that's rebellion, isn't it? Isn't that UDI? But we do things wrong. And Jesus tells us that actually the big things are not in a way worse necessarily than the little things. He talks about murder. And then he says, well, if you're angry with your brother, that will bring you into judgment too. I haven't actually murdered anybody. But I have been close when somebody died and I didn't do anything about it. That's, that's wrong, isn't it? Particularly when you think of something um, that happened very recently in Nice. The driver, well, that's wrong, isn't it? What about the chap who encouraged him? The chap who perhaps told him to? somebody who enabled him to do those things it goes a bit further than just driving the lorry, isn't it? I'm going to try to say something different now. This is not uh, from somebody who's usually known as uh, a theologian a chap called uh, Tom Lehrer, who says, I know there are people in this world who do not love their fellow men. And I hate people like that. We all sometimes mess up, don't we? Now, Paul puts the law in its place, and it puts grace in its place in um, Galatians 3. So the law was put in charge 
to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified in him. And now that faith has come, we're no longer under the supervision of the law. You're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself, what a frock it was, clothed yourself with Christ. So it's pretty clear that our place in the family arises by faith because of what Jesus has done. But does that mean that we can just sort of love God and do what we like? Well, I don't think it does really. Tradition can sometimes get in the way. If we believe like Isaac, the child of promise, we're sons of God, members of the kingdom, we don't rely on our good behavior, our traditions, or our lineal descent, or anything else to get us into the kingdom. But does that mean we can do exactly what we like afterwards? Is morality subject to ourselves? Is it postmodern, just as truth is said to be? And Jesus was talking to um, the Pharisees in uh, John 6. He says, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Oh, we're children of Abraham. We're not slaves. We don't need to be set free. We're relying on our lineal descent. That's no good. Do we need a temple? Could that be a little bit of something that gets in the way? A place of sacrifice? No. Jesus' sacrifice is complete. Fulfilled in him. Is it where heaven meets earth? No. That's fulfilled in the life of, of Jesus. Do we need somewhere like those Russian dolls, you know, where you have to get sort of nearer to God by degrees, take another doll out and there's another one, sort of finding your way towards the center? No. It's in Jesus that we have access to God, not a building. We can come into the very presence of God in Jesus, our only, only mediator and advocate and great high priest. So what gets in the way? And what's all this about being born of a miracle, being born of a promise? It's what Jesus explained to Nicodemus in John 3, I think. Miraculous birth for Isaac. Why is that miraculous? Sarah is very, very old. Isaac is very, very old. And if most of the children are downstairs, I can say what the Bible says. It says, for Sarah, it had ceased to be with her after the way of women. What does that mean? No eggs. The opening line of St. Joan by Shaw starts with no eggs. And the, the, the commander of the French army has tremendous power, but he cannot force the hens to lay an egg yesterday for his breakfast today. It can't, it's a different kind of egg, I know, I'm sorry. But it's, it's just beyond man's control, this child. This child is from God, just as Jesus is a child from God. And just as our life as children of God comes not from human descent, not from being born in the ordinary way, 
but comes from God's gift and miracle and his promise. So what's our response going to be? Well, we know the response, don't we? Because we've said it and we've heard it in the baptism this morning. We know we've done the wrong thing. We know Jesus has died for us and we ask him to come and take over and take our life from now on. We start taking it back again and putting in other, other traditions. Ephesians 2.8 is very clear. By grace are we saved through faith. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are all God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. That's wonderful, isn't it? Haven't got to do a thing. Hang on, it goes on. To do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. So there is work to be done, which is good. There is worship which is good, and there is witness, which is good. And these things depend on God's truth and God's spirit. The woman in Samaria, by the well, he tells her that the time's coming when we'll worship in spirit and truth. And our witness. There's a, there's a quiz in here today, um, because the, the people who listened to Paul in Berea were more no noble, more noble than those in Thessalonica, because they searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. One of the things, two of the things I'm saying to you today are not from the Bible, almost everything else is. But here is a thought. Do not show, this is about our, our life, our witness. Do not show me the steep and thorny path to heaven while like a puffed and reckless libertine, yourself the primrose path of dalliance treads. Is that the Bible? No, you're quite right, it's in Hamlet. But the point is the same. This is what people think of hypocrisy in the church. We say trust in Jesus and we appear to be putting our, our, our trust in a, we've got an appeal coming up, could you give us a couple of quid? Or we appear to be putting our trust in something else. We introduce tradition. It's got to be a really good meal. Martha has got to spend all her time, can't listen to Jesus because it's got to be an absolutely stonking meal. Nothing to go wrong with planet for six weeks. This, this would be the point when you would probably expect me to consider a very long list of very helpful mistakes that other Christians have made over the centuries. Um, heresies, we call them, or sometimes it's the way we do things here. Instead, let us consider the musical Fiddler on the Roof, which opens with a song called Tradition. Yes, Tradition. And it happens to be Jewish tradition at the time, which is quite opposite. But in the face of persecution, when acknowledging who you are can lead to your death and eviction and being chased out, this fiddler, this musician, this um, <coughs> violinist on the roof, which I think represents him trying to stay on the roof, trying to worship God, trying to witness and trying to do good works, good music, on the roof, He's faced with a very steep roof. On one side, it's persecution and death. And the other side, in which case the witness will die out. And on the other, it's assimilation. Just go along with the traditions of the world. And it seems to me that we have just occasionally had similar situations ourselves. Sometimes there's a difficult choice to be made. And what, I don't know what our roof is like. It's very steep. One side might be, be afraid, be very afraid. And the other one might be, take control. 
Those are the two things we've been thinking about most, aren't they, in the last um, few weeks. And just on the matter of tradition, we prayed for Hazel Mansell earlier today. just want to say something about her. She had a vision with her husband to bring renewal to the Ethiopian Orthodox Church. Renewal. Internally, not by setting up another church next door, but internally. And they decided to do that by translating the Word of God, the Bible, into Amharic, Amharic and explaining it. And then she came back about 15, 20 years later, and she said, it's happening. The apparent veneration within the, that particular part of the church of placing tradition and clergy and Mary at the center of worship and Christian life is changing. And now they're placing Jesus and the Bible at the center of their life. So that's an answer to prayer where the Spirit has really um, made a change. I just want to read you two very short uh, reports about something similar. This is a little answer to prayer uh, because I read something else a few weeks ago. And Mrs. Isis Gattas Dawood is the mother of Coptic Christians Bishoy and Samuel Estefanas Kamel, two of the 21 Egyptians beheaded on a Libyan beach in February 2015 by so-called Islamic State. The night after IS released a video of their deaths, Mrs. Dawood's eldest son, Bashir, spoke uh, live on a broadcast saying that their painful ordeal had made the family, quote, stronger in our faith because the Bible tells us to love our enemies and bless those who curse us, unquote. His mum, Mrs. Dawood, this is on the 30th of May this year, again on a broadcast, voiced her forgiveness and said that she prayed for the killers of her two younger sons, speaking of how they had chosen martyrdom rather than renounce their faith. She said that she would not be afraid to make the same choice. If my children weren't scared, why should I be? And that's a, a woman, a mother. This is a young girl, Azra, from the Nineveh Valley in Iraq, again in a broadcast, says how she and her family, like thousands threatened by Daesh militants, had to flee to Kurdistan. With tears welling in her eyes, the young girl said, quote, we used to wonder why God did this to us and why we were forcibly displaced. Why did he allow this? But we found out it was the opposite and that God cares for us. He did a lot for us. He protected us from Daesh, unquote. She described how her family had, quote, lived a life away from God, unquote. But when they went to Kurdistan, they were welcomed by a church that gave them shelter and looked after them. The witness of the church family made a great impression on this youngster. She said, quote, they used to pray and praise a lot. I could see a lot of change going on and liberation. I prayed to God saying, God, I want to change and be liberated too, unquote. It's not a bad prayer. God heard Azra's prayer and brought transformation to her life. His love and forgiveness enabled her 
to forgive the terrorists who had forced her to flee her home. Quote, I thought I was a good person because I did good things. When I came to know the Lord, I realized that this was wrong, that I did many wrong things, but God forgave me. The same goes for Daesh. God is willing to forgive them. I forgave Daesh because they were sinners who don't know God, unquote. Who else but God could make a change in that mother and that child so that they could express that sort of forgiveness? Galatians 5.1, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Let's not let ourselves be burdened again by fear or vanity, the desire to take control of our own lives. May God forgive us as he forgives those who trespass against us. Amen.